Chapter seventy eight of Varney the Vampire, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. Varney the Vampire, Volume two, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter seventy eight. THE ALTERCATION BETWEEN VARNEY AND THE EXECUTIONER IN THE HALL, THE MUTUAL AGREEMENT. There was certainly a loud wrangling in the hall, just as the doctor finished his most remarkable revelation concerning Sir Francis Varney, a revelation which by no means attacked the fact of his being a vampire or not, but rather, on the contrary, had a tendency to confirm any opinion that might arise from the circumstance of his being restored to life after his execution, favorable to that belief. They all three now carefully approached the windows of the hall to listen to what was going on, and after a few moments they distinctly heard the voice of the hangman, saying in loud and rather angry accents, "'I do not deny but that you have kept your word with me.' Our bargain has been, as you say, a profitable one. But still, I cannot see why that circumstance should give you any sort of control over my actions. But what do you hear? said Varney impatiently. What do you? cried the other. Nay, to ask another question is not to answer mine. I tell you that I have special and most important business in this house. You can have no motive but curiosity. "'Can I not, indeed? What, too, if I have serious and important business here?' "'Impossible.' "'Well, I may as easily use such a term as regards what you call important business, but here I shall remain.' "'Here you shall not remain.' "'And will you make the somewhat hazardous attempt to force me to leave?' "'Yes. Much as I dislike lifting my hand against you, I must do so.' I tell you that I must be alone in this house. I have most special reasons, reasons which concern my continued existence. Your continued existence you talk of. Tell me now, how is it that you have acquired so frightful a reputation in this neighborhood? Go where I will, the theme of conversation is Varney, the vampire, and it is implicitly believed that you are one of those dreadful characters that feed upon the lifeblood of others only now and then revisiting the tomb to which you ought long since to have gone in peace. Indeed! Yes, what in the name of all that's inexplicable has induced you to enact such a character? Enact it, you say. Can you then, from all you have heard of me, and from all you know of me, not conceive it possible that I am not enacting any such character? Why may it not be real? Look at me. Do I look like one of the inhabitants of the earth? In sooth, you do not. And yet I am, as you see, upon it. Do not, with an affected philosophy, doubt all that may happen to be in any degree repugnant to your usual experiences. I am not one disposed to do so, nor am I prepared to deny that such dreadful beings may exist as vampires. However, whether or not you belong to so frightful a class of creatures, I do not intend to leave here, but I will make an agreement with you. Varney was silent, 
and after a few moments' pause the other exclaimed, "'There are people, even now, watching the place, and no doubt you have been seen coming into it.' "'No, no, I was satisfied no one was here but you.' "'Then you are wrong. A Dr. Chillingworth, of whom you know something, is here, and him, you have said, you would do no harm to, even to save your life.' "'I do know him.' You told me that it was to him that I was mainly indebted for my mere existence, and although I do not consider human life to be a great boon, I cannot bring myself to raise my hand against the man who, whatever might have been the motives for the deed, at all events, did snatch me from the grave. "'Upon my word,' whispered the Admiral, "'there is something about that fellow that I like after all.' "'Hush,' said Henry. Listen to them. This would all have been unintelligible to us if you had not related to us what you have. I have just told you in time, said Chillingworth, it seems. Will you then, said the hangman, listen to proposals? Yes, said Varney. Come along then, and I will show you what I have been about, and I rather think you have already a shrewd guess as to my motive. This way this way. They moved off to some other part of the mansion, and the sound of their voices gradually died away, so that, after all, the friends had not got the least idea of what the motive was, which still induced the vampire and the hangman, rather than leave the other on the premises, to make an agreement to stay with each other. "'What's to be done now?' said Henry. "'Wait,' said Dr. Chillingworth. Wait and watch still. I see nothing else that can be done with any degree of safety. But what are we to wait for? said the Admiral. By waiting we shall perhaps find out, was the doctor's reply. But you may depend that we never shall by interfering. Well, well, be it so. It seems we have no other resource. And when either or both of those fellows make their appearance and seem about to leave, what is to be done with them? They must be seized then, and in order that they may be done without any bloodshed, we ought to have plenty of force here. Henry, could you get your brother, and Charles, if he be sufficiently recovered, to come? Certainly. And Jack Pringle. No, said the Admiral. No Jack Pringle for me. I have done with him completely, and I have made up my mind to strike him off the ship's books and have nothing more to do with him. Well, well, added the doctor, we will not have him then, and it is just as well, for in all likelihood he would come drunk, and we shall be, let me see, five strong without him, which ought to be enough to take prisoners two men. Yes said Henry, although one of them may be a vampire. "'That makes no difference,' said the Admiral. "'I'd as soon take a ship manned with vampires as with Frenchmen.' Henry started off upon his errand, certainly leaving the Admiral and the Doctor in rather a critical situation while he was gone, for had Varney the vampire and the hangman chosen, they could certainly easily have overcome so inefficient a force. The Admiral would, of course, have fought, and so might the doctor, as far as his hands would permit him, but if the others had really been intent upon mischief, 
they could, from their downright superior physical power, have taken the lives of the two that were opposed to them. But somehow the doctor appeared to have a great confidence in the affair. Whether that confidence arose from what the vampire had said with regard to him, or from any hidden conviction of his own that they would not yet emerge from the hall, we cannot say. But certain it is, he waited the course of events with great coolness. No noise for some time came from the house, but then the sounds, as if workmen were busy within it, were suddenly resumed, and with more vigor than before. It was nearly two hours before Henry made the private signal which had been agreed upon as that which should proclaim his return, and then he and his brother, with Charles, who, when he heard of the matter, would, notwithstanding the persuasions of Flora to the contrary, come, got quietly over the fence at a part of the garden which was quite hidden from the house by abundant vegetation, and the whole three of them took up a position that tolerably well commanded a view of the house while they were themselves extremely well hidden behind a dense mass of evergreens. "'Did you see that rascal Jack Pringle?' said the Admiral. "'Yes,' said Henry. "'He is drunk.' "'Ah, to be sure.' And we had no difficulty in shaking him off. He suspected where we were going, but I think by being peremptory we got fairly rid of him. The vagabond. If he comes here, I'll brain him. I will, the swab. Why, lately he's done nothing but drink. That's the way with him. He'll go on sometimes for a year and more, and not take more than enough to do him good. And then, all at once, for about six or eight weeks, he does nothing but drink. Well, well, we can do without him, said Henry. Without him? I should think so. Do you hear those fellows in the hall at work? Damn me if I haven't all of a sudden thought what the reason of it all is. What? What? said the doctor anxiously. Why, that rascal Varney, you know, had his house burnt down. Yes, well. Yes, well. I dare say he didn't think it well. But, however, he no doubt wants another. So, you see, my idea is that he's stealing the material from Bannerworth Hall. Oh, is that your notion? Yes, and a very natural one, I think, too, Master Doctor, whatever you may think of it. Come, now, have you a better? Oh, dear, no, certainly not. But I have a notion that something to eat would comfort the inward man much. And so would something to drink. Blow me if it wouldn't said Jack Pringle, suddenly making his appearance. The admiral made a rush upon him, but he was restrained by the others, and Jack, with a look of triumph, said, "'Why, what's amiss with you now? I ain't drunk now. Come, come, you have something dangerous in the wind, I know, so I've made up my mind to be in it, so don't put yourself out of the way. If you think I don't know all about it, you are mistaken, for I do.' The vampire is in the house yonder, and I am the fellow to tackle him. I believe you, my boys. Good God, said the doctor, what shall we do? Nothing, said Jack, as he took a bottle from his pocket and applied the neck of it to his lips. Nothing, 
"'Nothing at all.' "'There's something to begin with,' said the admiral, as with his stick he gave the bottle a sudden blow that broke it and split all its contents, leaving Jack petrified with the bit of the neck of it still in his mouth. "'My, my, admiral,' he said, "'was that done like a British seaman? "'My eye, was that the trick of a lubber "'or of a thorough-going first raider? "'My eye!' "'Hold your noise, will you? "'You are not drunk yet, "'and I was determined that you should not get so, "'which you soon would with that rum bottle, "'if I had not come with a broadside across it. "'Now you may stay, but mark me, you are on active service now, and must do nothing without orders. "'Aye, aye, your honor,' said Jack, as he dropped the neck of the bottle and looked ruefully upon the ground, from whence arose the aroma of rum. "'Aye, aye, but it's a hard case, take it how you will, to have your grog stopped. But, damn it, I never had it stopped yet when it was in my mouth.' Henry and Charles could not forbear a smile at Jack's discomfiture, which, however, they were very glad of, for they knew full well his failing, and that in the course of another half-hour he would have been drunk and incapable of being controlled, except, as on some former occasions, by the exercise of brute force. But Jack was evidently displeased, and considered himself to be grievously insulted, which, after all, was the better inasmuch as, while he was brooding over his wrongs, he was quiet, when otherwise it might have been a very difficult matter to make him so. They partook of some refreshments, and as the day advanced, the brothers Bannerworth, as well as Charles Holland, began to get very anxious upon the subject of the proceedings of Sir Francis Varney in the hall. They conversed in low tones, exhausting every, as they considered, possible conjecture to endeavor to account for his mysterious predilection for that abode, but nothing occurred to them of a sufficiently probable motive to induce them to adopt it as a conclusion. They more than suspected Dr. Chillingworth, because he was so silent, and hazarded no conjecture at all of knowing something, or of having formed to himself some highly probable hypothesis upon the subject but they could not get him to agree that such was the case. When they challenged him upon the subject, all he would say was, My good friends, you perceive that there is a great mystery somewhere, and I do hope that tonight it will be cleared up satisfactorily. With this they were compelled to be satisfied, and now the soft and somber shades of evening began to creep over the scene, enveloping all objects in the dimness and repose of early night. The noise from the house had ceased, and all was profoundly still. But more than once Henry fancied he heard footsteps outside the garden. He mentioned his suspicions to Charles Holland, who immediately said, "'The same thing has come to my ears.' "'Indeed. Then it must be so. We cannot both of us have merely imagined such a thing. You may depend that this place is beleaguered in some way, and that tonight will be productive of events which will throw a great light upon the affairs connected with this vampire that have hitherto baffled conjecture. "'Hush!' said Charles. "'There, again! I am quite confident I heard a sound, as of a broken twig outside the garden wall. 
The doctor and the admiral are in deep discussion about something. Shall we tell them? No, let us listen as yet. They bent all their attention to listening, inclining their ears towards the ground, and after a few moments they felt confident that more than one footstep was creeping along, as cautiously as possible, under the garden wall. After a few moments' consultation, Henry made up his mind, he being the best acquainted with the localities of the place, to go and reconnoiter, so he, without saying anything to the doctor or the admiral, glided from where he was in the direction of a part of the fence which he knew he could easily scale. End of chapter 78 Recording by Roger Moline